ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode... Feed us. If you've got ideas for future episodes... Feed us. Please... Feed us. Or contact us. Or contact us. You can email us using Ignition at sfcatholic.org, or you can tweet at us using the Twitter handle at sfdiocese, S-F-D-I-O-C-E-S-E, and the hashtag ignition. Uh, I'm just, um, I'm convicted by my own words, Father. Uh, I've got a, there's a podcast that I listen to that I love, but I I, uh, I get on in my own head, I get on the, the host case, Yep. because he often says, welcome back to the whatever podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my thing, well, what if I'm a first time listener? Oh, yeah. But you know what I say every episode of Ignition Father? Welcome we, back. We, <laughs> no, I say welcome. But then I say, we want to remind you that we love the lizard. Well, if I've, if I've never listened to Ignition before, you're not reminding me that you love listener feedback, Dr. Bergwald. Do we need a trigger warning? I don't know. I'm thinking maybe. Or an edit. Probably, probably just an edit going forward. Um, we love listener feedback. Big smile. Here edition. We love listener <laughs> feedback. <laughs> so uh, let's let's in case somebody has never listened to Ignition before, let's just Hi. briefly introduce ourselves a little bit more. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. I'm the priest director of the Pope Pius XII Newman Center at South Dakota State University, a Catholic mission to the campus, students, faculty, and staff. In my eighth year there, and in my eighth year also as the pastor of St. Paul's Parish in White. A mission and with a, a mission. Mission with a mission. Been a priest for eleven years. Great, finishing my eleventh year. Uh, when's your what's your anniversary date? June second, feast of Saints Peter and Marcellinus. Oh, just the martyrs of the first, isn't he? I think correct. Think. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. In fact, both my deacon and my priest ordination are June second. Oh, really? Yep. That's a little uh, yeah unusual, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but I wasn't. But it wasn't the same year. <laughs> that doesn't happen too often. If ever, well, I'm sure it has happened. I know, like Pope John Paul II was ordained a deacon like one day and a priest the next day. I was think. he? I think so. Yeah. Really? Yep. Um, I've actually had a quick question, which is going to be completely off topic. About that, after I introduce myself, my name is Chris Bergwald. I am the director of adult discipleship and evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Um, been married to Jermaine since 1999. So, as we're recording this, we're uh, 16 and a half years, uh, 17 and a half years, 17 and a half years, um, and she and I have five really good kids, nice children, nice. Father, trying to get my goat father doesn't like the word nice if you've never listened before it's a it's not it's a nice. long story uh, what you just did there was not nice i know um do you know what's what what's the why is there the typically yearish not always but typically yearish uh difference any idea why between uh, a, a man who's studying for the priesthood he's ordained uh a, about a year prior to the priesthood as a deacon not always a year i mean like in coincidentally um oh i know a priest of our own diocese father kevin odell was ordained a deacon in june and then ordained a priest in december yep uh 
And when I was in the seminary, I served as deacon at the diaconate ordination of my classmates and served at the priestly ordination of my classmates as a deacon. As a deacon. Yep. So why the gap as opposed to, well, this gets into it. Never mind. Never. What it gets into is, um, the sort of the theology of what it means to be a deacon and why a a man uh, standing to be the priest, what, why, why are you even ordained as a deacon? I know some Catholics wonder about that, but maybe we'll save that for another episode. That'd be another episode, yeah, I okay. think. All right. Yeah. So today we are going to continue. Get back in line. <laughs> this is German. What are you doing? Um, we're going to continue our occasional series on the books of the Bible. Uh, Father Dickinson and I, for a couple of years now, have been every every few weeks, about once every month or two, um, just giving a little introduction to one of the texts of Scripture. And we actually we began with the New Testament. We're still in the New Testament. Um, so we began with the Gospel of Mark, made our way through the Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, through all of Paul's letters, and now we are on what are generally called the Catholic epistles because they're universal. Um, in in audience, so Catholic meaning universal. They don't have most of Paul. Most of Paul's letters were written originally to specific churches, communities, um, or specific people. Whereas the the letter of Saint James and today we'll be talking about first, Saint Peter's first letter um, have a well. They may have a greeting that might be a little more specific. They they're generally seen as being more universal in nature. Would that be a fair description? Fair. Fair. Accurate. Accurate. Okay, I'll take that then. That's good enough for me. Um, as with most of the uh, the series, or the the episodes in this this series that we're doing on the books of the New Testament, the documents of the New Testament, a lot, not all, but a lot of what Father and I discuss comes from the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible New Testament volume, which was written by, uh, it, yeah excuse me, was written by Dr. Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch. So this is, for me, one of the best one-volume, com- well, the best one-volume commentary on the New Testament, particularly uh, for the Catholic layman uh, that's available. So if you're looking for more detail, there'd be one source to look at. Uh, yeah, so Father. Yeah, and you could totally read First Peter in less than the time it t- probably takes you to listen to a nation podcast. <laughs> Which goes back to our common refrain in the series. Read it. Read it. Um, don't fall for my mistakes, which is too often to read about the Bible instead of actually reading the reading the Bible. Um, don't don't let this. Certainly, please do not allow this episode of ignition recorded by the two of us to in any way replace your own prayerful study and reading of the sacred text. As Father said, it's it. As especially now, these letters uh, in in the New Testament are getting pretty short. Uh, you can certainly read it within half an hour, even at a at a prayerful pace. Wouldn't you say, Father? Very much so. Okay. So uh, oftentimes, Father and I like to address sort of the nitty gritty, some of the nuts and bolts, if you will, of the text before getting into the text itself. So as we usually do, we'll we'll start with a question: the question of who wrote the first letter of Saint Peter, Father. I'd say St. Peter. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so if you, if you look at the, uh, the beginning, the very beginning of the first letter of St. Peter, this is how, because if you're driving, we don't want you to look it up. This is how it starts. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to the exiles and so on and so forth. So therefore, the letter itself indicates that it was written by Peter, an apostle, and there was only Pete, one Peter who was an apostle. Therefore, it's Peter, the apostle. Boom. So um, this was believed. Got that figured out. This, this was, of course, believed uh, for centuries, going back to the very beginning of the church until just the last couple of centuries, the 18th uh, century, before we really had anybody um, arguing otherwise. Um, I'm not going to get into detail with this. There's good reasons to stick with the traditional attribution of this letter to the Apostle Peter. Right, because we could look at the philosophical motivations of those who cast doubt on the authorship of First Peter. Father, you know, and, and this is my thing with the view that the, letter, the documents of the New Testament weren't written by the people that we've traditionally said they were. There's, there's no evidence in the earliest centuries of Christianity. If you look at other writings, nobody ever says... Peter didn't write a letter like that. That's a forgery. You right. never find anybody saying. And you think people would do that? You would think so. Right. You would think that if 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 there's a letter circulating, a truth that supposedly was written by Peter, and somebody who knew Peter knew about it. They... Wait a moment. That isn't Peter. Nobody has done that, did right. that. Right. So that's why, I mean, I, I think it's, it is helpful to raise the question because it deepens our understanding of why and how we, we can be confident that was Peter who wrote it. But in the end, as, as, as Mitch and, and Hans say, there's insufficient reason to overturn the traditional view. But regardless of the fact, the church still considers it to be canonical scripture. Right. So even if somehow we could prove that actually wasn't written by Peter, that doesn't change the fact that it is inspired of God. Right. So, um, dates, uh, well, we, we know historically that Peter Have you ever died. actually eaten a date? Uh, yeah. I don't know if I've eaten a date. I, I have. They're, you know, I, I didn't think I'd like them. Are they ones that are really sweet? Uh, no? no? Okay. No. Maybe it's figs. You know what I actually have come to love the last couple years? Dried apricots. Hmm. This is, by the way. spongy. By the way, by the way, a little. Uh, my children. Hmm. Speaking of mispronunciation, apricot. Do you know why? No. Because of their mother. <laughs> She's indoctrinated them to say apricot. apricot. And I keep trying to correct Aren't you both them. Minnesotan? No, she's Ohio. And oh, it's round okay. on the ends and high in the middle. It's like, that's the closest you'll get to singing from me. <laughs> well, maybe not, but in this episode at least. So, um, dates. Bad Dates. Movie reference. Uh, Indian Jones and no. uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was count. Of course you would know. I was actually thinking of that line Were when I you? asked you about dates. Yes. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I am the master of the sea. I am the something of the Kubla. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> Father, what am I ever going to do if you should ever leave ignition? Uh, I have to come up with your own distractions. <sighs> Maybe. So <laughs> Get better listening <laughs> reviews <laughs> because you actually stay on topic. Squirrel. Uh, Squirrel. When was the? Did, when did Peter write this letter? So he, before Peter, he died. Before he died, <laughs> which we know historically was in the mid '60s. So therefore, the first letter of Saint Peter had to have been written before the mid '60s, but not too much. No, because uh, I mean, the letter indicates that he's been doing some of his missionary travels, and for the first couple of decades, he was pretty kind of locked in Jerusalem. Right. 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 So, so it, I, I it had started the first verse of the first chapter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
chosen and destined, etc. So he's referring there to um, some of the churches in northern Asia Minor. And again, he had been mostly in Jerusalem or the Holy Land area in general for the first couple of decades um, uh, after the resurrection. So this was probably written in the early 60s, is the general thought. Um, That'd be the... O sixties, not the nineteen sixties. The O sixties, yes, it would be the the sixties. Uh, where did he write it from? Well, at the end of the letter, he refer makes reference to sending this letter from Babylon. Now, there was, of course, an ancient Babylon. It's in current uh, modern day Turk, Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. Um, but when Peter is writing about that, it's probably a quote is probably it's probably symbolic for Rome question yeah did that mean he does that mean the apocalypse might have been written by then uh no the apocalypse was probably written later and there's an are there are arguments about because because john in revelation talks about the destruction of the temple uh, uh, the, and, and, but well about babylon in general but there there's there's arguments that babylon does babylon mean rome as it seemingly does for peter or does it mean jerusalem mm. yeah so there's an argument that 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 John is using uh, when he's referring to Babylon that he's speaking about Jerusalem. Hmm. So we'll save that for when we get to mm-hmm. uh, the uh, hmm. <laughs> the uh, the the Re- Book of Revelation. Ah. It's a letter, but it's not a letter. Anyway, but for for Peter though, uh, in his letter when he refers to Babylon, he seems to be f- referring to Rome, which would fit with again what we know that he was martyred in Rome, that he had established together with Paul the church in Rome. They're re- regarded as the co-founder. Actually, I, I, I should I, I got to be careful there. Um, well, Paul is oftentimes referred to as uh, the founder of the church in Rome, and yet we know when we discussed Romans that Paul wrote to the church um, before he visited it. So there's a little uh, debate there, but Peter certainly is, is referred uh, referred to together with Paul as having uh, founded in some way the church in Rome. Uh, and that's where he is writing this letter from, again, giving credence to the idea that he wrote it in the early 60s. And probably before his de- probably shortly before his death. Right, right. Um, and finally, uh, again, by way of sort of background, uh, who is he writing it to? As we were just saying, he was writing it to the Christians in Northern Asia Minor, probably both Jewish and Gentile origin. And we are talking to you, the listeners of Ignition, a broadcast for the new evangelization you can send us questions about this episode ideas for future episodes either by email ignition at sfcatholic.org or by twitter use the twitter handle at sfdiocese and the hashtag ignition we no longer accept carrier pigeons once but no more yeah so if you try to send your pigeon it's not going to come back if <laughs> um He's Father Andrew Dickinson, and I am Chris Bergwald. And we're talking today about um, the first letter of St. Peter. So, Father, let's get now sort of the background out of the way. Let's let's focus on some of the content of the letter. Um, so this is, in many ways, uh, it could be rightly, aptly described as a pastoral letter, um, a fatherly letter uh, written to uh, encourage young churches uh, facing increasingly increasing hostility towards Christianity. That's actually a great use of the word pastoral, by the way. You know, sometimes uh, you might hear people use the word pastoral, and it kind of 
comes out as almost a permissive word. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, the pastoral way to go about this would be to uh, allow this person to violate divine law. Right. Uh, but no, really, pastoral means to encourage someone in the face of challenges of living out divine law. Right. Right. And so uh, these churches, all young churches, I mean, because there was no old churches at that point. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of like the length of their establishment, but uh, just encourage them in the, in, in the difficulties of living out the Christian faith. And that's uh, the truest and best sense of what a pastor should do and be. Right. Right. So at this point, even in the early 60s, I mean, we know for Christians uh, from the Holy Land, there's persecution right out of the gate. Um, uh, Read about that in the Acts of the Apostles. Exactly. Um, and of course, it would become increasingly so later um, in the first century on the part of the Roman Empire as well. So uh, Peter is, was, so again, writing a, a pastoral fatherly letter, encouraging um, these, these churches uh, in the face of, of increasing hostility, which would become outright persecution um, on the part of the governing authority in addition to the other persecution they're already facing. Peter is asking his readers to see the trials that they're facing, the the persecutions that they're beginning to face, to see them, to remember to see them as part of God's plan for making us like his son. Boom. Why else do you bear the name Christian unless you're to become a little Christ? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so some have described this letter as sort of the New Testament Job. Hmm. Uh, that is as how... how, how the suffering of those who are innocent is part of God's plan. Uh, it's a question that, that most of us have at some point in our life. Uh, and so Peter is taking this up both sort of theologically, like trying to understand this and make sense of it, and then ethically, okay, what do we do with it? How do we live in mm-hmm. light of this? Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's a big challenge to live in suffering, and that's um, one of the biggest challenges to living the Christian life in a consistent way is to live in the midst of suffering, especially suffering that you think you don't deserve. Right, exactly. So um, so if, if when now the governing authority is more and more persecuting, the, persecuting me simply for being Christian, one can wonder, okay, God, how, why are you allowing this to happen? I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to you, and now somebody who's much stronger than I am is starting to come down on me because of it. How, I don't understand this. And so in that way... Uh, Peter encouraging uh, the members of the church in that way to be conformed to Jesus Christ and, and following the Father's will, uh, even if it leads to a chalice of suffering. Right. And I think that's, you know, <laughs> I just think think of, of me. Uh, you always think of you. I always, well, I'm an expert on myself. One thing I know that, anyway. I've studied deeply. <laughs> um, I I sort of had this idea that if I, if I just do it well, right? People are going to respond. Yep. That wasn't what happened to Jesus. No. So why should I expect that right, I right. differently? Oh, and I think I think modern mar- and like the modern marketing uh, right. mentality has totally invaded our Christian life in that way. Yeah. So say more about that. Well, I was I was it's on my mind because just recently I was talking to my college students about uh, the sin of gossip and talking about correcting others. They said, "Well, you know, like how do I correct others?" You know, or speak against them. What if I? What if I say it the wrong way? What if they get mad? I'm like, I mean, you can say it perfectly, and someone could still get mad. Exactly. But with we have this kind of marketing mentality that if I just craft my pitch right in the perfect way with empathy, showing that I care, building them up at the same time while I'm uh, correcting them on this, then they're going to receive it. No, 
Not and you know, actually, they might receive it very well if you just say it badly, right? Because then you're trusting that the right. Lord maybe might be working in their hearts, right? As well for this moment and wanting you to speak into that moment. And and we know this again because of Jesus' example. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that he knew how to say things in the best possible way, right? And yet there were people who rejected him. Yeah. So we should expect nothing less. And so there, Peter says to suffer for the name of Jesus is not a curse. Mm. It's a blessing. It's a privilege because he is repeating, replicating his own life in your life when that happens to you. So I think there of um, when St. Paul, we're talking about Peter's letter, but when right. Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus, Jesus has reveals himself to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who am I, Lord, that I'm persecuting you? Um, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And, and well, pa- Paul, Saul was persecuting Jesus' followers. Right. But Jesus so Identifies. identifies himself with the church, with the body of disciples, that, that he uh, says, you're persecuting me when you're persecuting um, whoever it was that, that he was persecuting, uh, Stephen or whatever. So, so similarly, Paul, Peter right now in his letter is reminding us that Jesus replicates his own life in the life of his disciples. And we need to remember that when we face trial and tribulation. It was interesting. Um, he doesn't, uh, if I want to get really textually nerd, nerdy right now, but he doesn't actually quote like Jesus in terms of the Beatitudes. Right. Okay. Go on. Especially I'm thinking here of the eighth beatitude. Uh, Blessed are you and they insult you and persecute you and ever, utter every kind of evil against you falsely on account of my name. Right. For I say in heaven, great is your reward. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. But I mean, that's certainly another way that we might think about that, about uh, how to pray about what it means to suffer just for living the faith, uh, to draw inspiration from and a connection to the Beatitudes. Right, right, right. So so God, so Peter's making the point that God allows this suffering, Jesus allows this suffering to strengthen us and for our own purification. So um, what else comes to mind, Father, when you think of the letter? Oh, the, uh, um, oh, one of the things that I would really, from kind of like a theological point of view perspective, is the idea of typology. Right. Um, which I don't think we've ever, we've maybe talked a bit, you said you've talked about it in a previous yep, uh, other episode episodes. where I wasn't here you and you here. had some replacement uh, <laughs> yes. for me. Tried. <laughs> Been replaced. But in First uh, Peter chapter 3, he talks about uh, would for my terminology up, would no the flood of Noah be a type of baptism? Uh, yes. Okay, and our baptism would be the fulfillment yep, the of antitype. the type of, yep. of, uh, of Noah's ark. So he talks about this and uses this idea of typology, which is something that uh, you as a scripture reader should learn to love, yep. dear listeners, this idea of typology. And you should learn to look for typology yep. in your scriptural reading. What's typology? So basically, uh, God in his um, plan of salvation, he's got a plan that he's implementing. And oftentimes we find in the written account of that plan, as we have it in the Bible, um, times when God has orchestrated such that certain events in the past point to a future event of which in which the past event is fulfilled. So, Father, you just referenced uh, Noah and the flood, the saving waters, if you will, the cleansing waters of the flood that we read about way back in Genesis, what, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there? Uh, eight and nine. Eight and nine. Yep. Um, that we read about there 
are, are a foreshadowing that's pointing ahead to a fulfillment of the idea of cleansing, saving waters, which we find with Jesus and the sacrament of baptism that he gave us. Would that be a... That'd be a great way to describe typology and St. Peter's use of typology in 1 Peter 3. Okay. And, and to me, it's just, I think it gives... Sometimes when we think about typology, we might think, oh, it's just pie in the sky, you're just using your overactive imagination. Yep. But no, like this is a real biblical way of how to do stuff. Right. Because, uh, among other things, it shows the unity of God's mm, plan. Right. The interconnectedness of the Testaments. Exactly. Like yeah. The Old Testament isn't like the bad old stuff, and now we got the new good stuff. I, I found the recently I got from the library a book uh, written by a Protestant scholar. Um, uh, why do we need the New Testament? Hmm. Now he gave it, but I loved the the twist because most of why do I need most Christians that why do why we need, need the, the Old Testament? Testament? Right. And his point was in a collection of essays, why do we need the New Testament? No, we need it, but he was just trying by the this provocative title to get us to recognize that in many ways. So as Saint Augustine would say, the New Testament is hidden in the, in the old; it's there to be found, right. but the old is revealed or is fulfilled in the, the new. new. Correct. Uh, so there, there's a connection between the two. Well, and you think about what uh, Peter and Paul preached from, for the most part, right. or led people to, is the prophecies in Isaiah or the Psalms or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Yep. You know, and, and other minor prophets. That's what they're referencing. So often when, like St. Paul says, all scripture is profitable uh, and useful for instruction and refutation. He's talking on, about what we now call the Old Testament. Right, because that's the only thing that he had. Exactly. Because the church had not yet decreed what was the New Testament. Yep, yep. The New Covenant. So just uh, a few seconds left. I think First Peter, the reason I think it'd be worth a read today, mm-hmm. listeners, is because, again, uh, it was written in the context of increasing uh, opposition to Christianity um, and somewhat familiar, therefore, to the times in which we live. Is there a particular verse that really captures you and your imagination in that mm-hmm. way? Not, well, what strikes me, and we're not going to have time to get into it, unfortunately, so we'll have to save it for another time. First Peter 3.15 comes to mind, but for mm-hmm. another time. Okay. Um, so we have about a minute left, Father. I, I didn't want to try to get on the bandwagon of mine. What about you? Well, I, I wanted to go for yours. In that okay. So I guess I'll try to. Yeah. Oftentimes, First Peter 3.15 is used as the verse for doing apologetics. Right. I, so I'm struck, though, by the fact that St. Peter wrote what he says there, uh, always be re- ready to give an account for the hope that is within you, within the context to increasing persecution. Right. So even as Christianity huh. is becoming more and more countercultural, right. Catholicism more and more countercultural, we need to be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within us. Right, that we shouldn't just give up just because there's exterior opposition or difficulty or doubtful results. Yeah. So we should be ready to give an intelligent defense for the faith that we believe in. Hey, wait a moment. Does that almost sound like the reason why you do Ignition and invite me to be a part of it? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So listeners, that's why we're happy that you're doing this, because we're fulfilling and you're fulfilling by listening to Ignition, First Peter 3, verse 15. Amen. And that will is a great way to wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet us. Tweet at us at SF Diocese with a hashtag ignition with any thoughts or ideas for future episodes. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on media and then audio files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition podcast in the iTunes store. 
Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.